Good morning. All right, let's try that one more time. It's a new year. We need to be a little more peppy. Good morning. We're thankful for your presence here today. Um, we're, we're blessed that we have this first day of the week on which to gather and to lift up our Father in heaven and His Son, Jesus Christ. The early church began to gather on Sundays because it's Resurrection Day. This is the day on which we come and celebrate our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, our resurrected Lord. Uh, we are here to declare that the grave could not hold Him, that He is very much alive, uh, that He is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, that His Spirit is with us. We are here to declare all of that and more, and we're thankful that you're here with us, no matter who you may be. If you're a first-time visitor or a second or third-time visitor, you haven't been here very many times, we are so thankful for your presence. And we hope that you'll give us a chance to uh, talk to you, get your name, get to know you a little bit. It's a new year, so it's a natural time for us to renew our commitment and our devotion to the Lord and to gathering with the saints. And so I want to encourage you to come back tonight. We worship again at 6 o'clock. Another period of spirited singing and the study of God's Word. We're together on Wednesday nights as a family at 7 o'clock with classes for all ages. Two adult classes. Classes for our, our young people, 6th through 12th graders. So come back and bring your whole family on Wednesdays. You, possibly, if you have made a commitment to read through your Bible in 2019, have just completed your first week of Bible reading. And if you haven't, that's okay. We're still glad that you're here and you will still be able to understand the sermon today. But if you have, then you have read Genesis 1 through 15. That's a pretty good chunk. I mean, you don't have to actually do this, but just in your mind, pretend like you're giving yourself a little pat on the back. Well done. You made it through the first week. Now that we've got 51 more to go. So here we go. You've also read this week Mark. One chapters 1 through 5, and three psalms, the 19th, the 104th, and the 148th psalm. And let me just say, it's never too late to start reading your Bible. If you want to pick up uh, at the beginning and you know just trek along that way, or try to keep up, or if, the, if you feel like that's just too much, you just want to start with the current week's reading, start right there and go forward. Either way is fine. I also want to say, if you're like me, then in your reading, you had a lot of questions about various things that you read. Shake your head this way if you have questions. I won't feel so bad. Here's some advice. This is what I'm going to try to do. I'm going to make note of those questions. I'm going to write them down. But I'm going to keep going, okay? Even if there's a question that, you know, I've made note of it, I'm going to come back to it later, do some studying on it, but I'm not going to let that slow me down. I'm going to keep on trekking. I'm going to look for the big picture, the upper story, as we talked about last week, of the Scriptures, and I'm just going to keep trudging away throughout the year. That, that is my personal goal when I encounter questions. I, I know that we will continue to encounter questions as we read, but just stay the course and keep going. Now, if you've completed your weeks, uh, your week's worth, first week's worth of reading, 
There is a word that I bet you have encountered, a word that I think we ought to talk about, a word that we should know a little more about in understanding not just the Old Testament, but the whole story of the Bible. And that word is covenant. And I've got the word up here on the screen. The word covenant, an important word for understanding the word, these scriptures, the Holy Bible. A definition here. In the ancient world, a covenant would formally bind two parties together on the basis of mutual personal commitment with consequences for keeping that covenant or breaking it. And so two parties would come together formally, join in a relationship with one another. Uh, They would make a pledge to one another, and there would be consequences for keeping it, blessings that would be associated with it, or if you broke it, curses. Now, in the case of God's covenants with humans, the rules are a little bit different, because we are, are not equal parties with God, are we? God is sovereign above us, and so when He enters into a covenant with us, He sets the terms on both sides. Now, in the text that was read for us earlier from Genesis chapter 9, we saw a covenant, did we not? A covenant in our text today with Noah, and not just with Noah. Often we say a covenant with this person or that person, but often these individuals are the representatives of, for larger groups. And so, this is not just a covenant with Noah, it's more like a covenant through Noah that extends to his family and to their descendants, and in this case, to all living creatures. We saw, we read about that covenant in Genesis chapter 9. But there's one in the text before that. God's covenant with Adam, and with Eve, and with their offspring. Now, we don't see the word covenant, the Hebrew word berit that we translate covenant in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, but the idea is very much there. And later in the Old Testament, it is, these verses are referred back to using the term covenant. So we've got God's covenant with Adam. There's one after the covenant that we read about through Noah, but God's covenant with Abram, who became later Abraham in chapter 12. And the last chapter you read in Genesis this past week, chapter 15, mentions God's covenant with Abraham. And then again, in chapter 17, we find God covenanting with Abraham. A couple more in the Old Testament. There's a lot, and a few that I'm leaving out. One of the big ones, maybe the biggest, God's covenant with His people Israel through His servant Moses. We will later read about that in Exodus chapters 19 and 24. And still, one more, God's covenant with David, King David. Much later in the story of the Old Testament in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now, in each of these covenants, there are variations in the details. What God pledges to humanity and what humanity in turn is responsible for in their relationship with God, what their commitment is. Some differences in the the details, but the basic obligation on both sides is the same. 
On God's side, it is, I will be their God. And on man's side, or humanity's side, from God's perspective, they shall be my people. This is unchanging in all of the biblical covenants we read about between God and humanity. I will be their God. They shall be my people. You know, being in a covenant with God is a lot like being in a divine marriage. If you're married, do you remember your wedding day? Maybe you don't. Maybe it's a blur to you. A lot of the details of my wedding day, even though it just occurred about 11 years ago, are a little bit of a blur. There's a lot happening on that special day. You know, a lot of moving parts. And sometimes... Big moments like that just sort of fade from view. But I do remember that I stood on a stage very much like this one in a church building. And I stood across from my bride, my wife-to-be, Lauren. And we pledged to one another our devotion and our commitment and our faithfulness. And that is very much like entering into a covenant with God. And this is not my illustration. This is language that comes straight out of the Scriptures. In fact, God, the Bible and God often compare His relationship with His precious human creation as a marriage. And oftentimes, in the prophets, God would talk about how He was the faithful husband, but His spouse, His, his bride, had gone astray and had been unfaithful to Him. This is a whole different sermon, but I believe that's one reason that God takes so seriously the covenant of marriage is because marriage, our marriages, Christian marriages, are supposed to be living, breathing examples of God's faithfulness and fidelity to His people. You see, we have a high calling for our marriages. We are to set an example. We are to show the world what God's relationship with humanity looks like in all of its beauty. Being in a covenant with God is a lot like being in a divine marriage. And let me say to you, many of you already know this, but if you are a Christian, then you're in a covenant with God. You have entered into a covenant relationship with God. And all of the various covenants that we have mentioned thus far, the covenants with Adam and Noah, Abram and Moses and David, all of these, and the ones that God made a covenant with through them, they look ahead to God's covenant with you, with us, through Christ. And if you don't believe me, you can look in places like Jeremiah 31, starting at about verse 31. If you've got your brand new journal today, maybe you're taking notes, you can jot that verse down. Because in this section, the prophet, God speaking through the prophet, looks ahead to the establishment of a new covenant. And when you get into the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 through 12, the Hebrews writer quotes those verses from Jeremiah and says, that has now been fulfilled through Christ. Remember how Jeremiah talked about a new covenant that was to be established? Well, now it has been. Now that has been fulfilled through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I love how simply Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6 puts it when the Hebrews writer says, well, let me turn there. 
And I will just read it along with you. Hebrews 8.6 The covenant that Jesus Christ mediates is better. It's better than the Mosaic covenant. It's better than the covenant God made with Adam, with Noah, with Abraham. It is better. It's the best covenant that you could imagine because it is enacted on better promises. So, you as a Christian have it better than Adam, the first human, better than Noah, better than Abraham and Moses and David and all of God's people throughout history. The covenant that you share with God is better because there are better promises associated with it through Christ. Now, isn't that something? Isn't that amazing? We've got it better than even the greats of the faith that we read about in our Bibles. I will be their people, God says. Or I will be their God, rather. I will be their God. And we say to God, we will be your people. Just as those were the obligations in every covenant before, they are in our covenant today. Now I want to talk about some other similarities between God's covenants and you can list these if you'd like in your journal number one God's covenants I I really want to focus on what binds these together the similarities here number one they are always preceded by an act of divine grace always preceded by an act of divine grace God always does something for the people with whom he is entering a covenant before he enters into that covenant for instance Before he entered into a covenant with Adam and Eve, what was God's act of divine grace and favor? He created all things. He created this beautiful world in which we live, and he created us, his human creation. What about Noah? Before God entered into a covenant with Noah, he rescued Noah and his family from the flood that destroyed all living creatures the world over. Moses before he entered into a covenant with Moses and the Israelites, he rescued them from Egyptian bondage and graciously allowed them to walk through the Red Sea on dry land, saved them right out from under the hands of the Egyptian army. What about David? Well, before he made a covenant with David, he anointed him king. Well, what about Abraham? Some of you may say, well, God didn't really do anything for Abraham before he said, hey, get up and go, pack up and hit the road. You are heading to a new land which I will give to you. But the very fact that God spoke to Abraham, that is an act of divine grace and favor. Is it not? That God appeared to Abraham and communicated to him. That God made great promises of future blessing. Before God makes a covenant with a group of people. He acts in in, an extraordinarily gracious way. What about with us? Well, you shouldn't hesitate to answer that question. Because it is obviously that God was willing to sacrifice His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross for our sins. As Paul says in Romans, while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us, the ungodly. And that is how we know that God loves us. Before we had anything of worth to offer God, He had already sent His Son who died on the cross for our sins in order to establish a new covenant by His blood. The covenant under which we 
operate. The covenant that we have entered into with God. That's Luke chapter 22, verse 20. You see, we can only experience a covenant with God if it's initiated by God. We have no chance of being in this type of relationship with God unless God acted first on our behalf. A covenant with God is always a product of His grace. Number two, something, a, a, another similarity between God's covenants. God does not back out of His obligation. First, He never backs out of His obligation unless we do first. There's an important couple verses along these lines that I want to share with you. They come from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 12-13. through 13. God will never, ever, ever back out of the covenant that He has made with us unless we rebel against Him. Unless we say, no God, we are no longer interested in being in this covenant relationship with you. And then, and only then, will He rethink the arrangement. Listen to what... Listen to what Paul says to Timothy. And he says here, 2 Timothy 2, starting at verse 11, this is a trustworthy saying. If you skip down to verse 12, if we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. For He cannot deny Himself. These verses tell us something very important about the nature of God. And that is that God's faithfulness does not prohibit Him from denying us if we deny Him first. God can still be called faithful even if He denies us after we have denied Him. He must always be called faithful and this is included, this is under the umbrella of His faithfulness and we should take this as a warning. God will not keep His deal with us if we are not interested in keeping our deal with Him. If we are not interested in remaining in this covenant relationship with God, God is not going to make us stay. He loves us enough and He trusts and He thinks as as highly of us that He will let us leave if we want. Now the question we should ask ourselves is why would we ever want to leave? Why would we ever want to abandon our God and the covenant that He has allowed us to enter into with Him through Christ? But if we want to, God is not going to force us to stay. He will let us go. If we deny Him, then He will also deny us, but He will remain faithful in doing so. In every covenant, there are promises and blessings for keeping it. God makes great promises if you stay in the covenant, if you are faithful to it. And we've already seen that the covenant that we are in, there are wonderful blessings involved through Christ. There is forgiveness, and there is life, and there is hope, and there is salvation, and there is the Spirit which lives within us as a seal on our hearts. But, in every covenant, there are also curses involved. If you break it. And our covenant is no different. Than any other covenant that God has enacted with people in the past. He will not back out of his obligation. Unless you do first. And here's one more. Covenants are often accompanied by signs and symbols. Signs and symbols accompany God's covenants. I bet you've already seen this in your reading. With Noah. What was the symbol? What was the sign? 
It's the rainbow. The rainbow that you've seen here up on the screen during the whole lesson. The rainbow was God's sign that He would never again destroy all flesh with a flood. That was the sign of His covenant through Noah. What about with Abram? It was the sign of circumcision, Genesis 17. With Moses and the Israelites, it was the sign of the Sabbath, Exodus 31. What about with us? I believe that the sign with us in our covenant is the Holy Spirit of God, which lives within us, dwells within us. What does Peter say in Acts chapter 2, verse 38? After he's preached the sermon, after the people have responded, what will we do? What do we need to do to make things right with God? He says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Spirit. That is the sign that you have entered into a covenant with God. And Paul in 2 Corinthians 1 says that this Spirit is a seal on us, like a royal seal, like a stamp on our hearts. And it uh, is given to us as a guarantee, as a down payment. That God will someday pay in full what He has promised. That is the sign for us. The Holy Spirit living within our hearts, guiding our steps throughout this life. Covenant. It's an important word. It's helpful. I would say even vital to think of our relationship with God in terms of a covenant. It reminds us of God's great love for us. Just the idea of a covenant should cause us to be in awe of God. That God would be willing to enter into a covenant relationship with us. The fact that He initiates this type of relationship. We ought to stand in awe at such a thought that God is willing to enter into a relationship with me, with all my sins and mistakes and failures, and all the various covenants that He's entered in with people throughout history. He, he continues to pursue His rebellious human creation, entering into covenant after covenant. And now we are part of the greatest of them all. The covenant through Jesus Christ. It's a reminder that God loves us. It's also a reminder that we have a responsibility toward God. In a covenant, both sides have a responsibility. Both sides have made a mutual commitment to one another. You have made a commitment to be faithful and devoted to God. How are you doing with that? Are you being faithful to the covenant into which you've entered with God? Is your heart and your mind and your words and your deeds fully devoted to God in this covenant? You know, I'm thankful that God, in His wisdom, has established a regular reminder of this covenant relationship. You know what it is? It's this. It's the Lord's Supper. This, to us, should be seen as a covenant renewal ceremony. A weekly remembrance that 
Jesus Christ shed his blood and his body was broken for our sake so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could enter into a covenant relationship with God. Every week, God gives us an opportunity to gather around this table to partake of these elements, the bread, which represents the body of Christ, the fruit of the vine, which represents His blood that flowed down from His hands and His feet, His brow and His side. This is the means by which we can enter into, that we have entered into a covenant with God. Don't take these elements lightly. Don't take them flippantly. Consider what they mean. Consider what God has done for you in allowing you to enter into a covenant relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. He has graciously provided a weekly reminder for us so that our minds don't get too far off track, so that we don't start forgetting what God has done for us. God gathers us around the table so that we never forget Not only do we remember, but we proclaim to the world, we will never forget what God has done for us. In His wisdom, He's provided this feast. And so the question that we need to ask, the question that this table weekly affords us, the opportunity to ask is, am I being faithful to His covenant? God is faithful God will keep His promises. He will never break His word. Have I broken my word to God? Have I kept my promises to God? Promises to love Him and to show that I love Him by keeping His commandments. Promises to love others and to reach out to them with the saving message of Jesus Christ. Am I faithful? It's a great question to start the new year off with. Am I being faithful in this covenant relationship with God? But let me back up, because I know that we have some people here who have never entered into this covenant with God through Christ. And so, you are not a part of the weekly feast. You do not come around this table with the rest of us and take of these elements to remember, because you haven't taken the initial step in order to enter into this covenant that God invites us all into. And so let me spend the last minute or two telling you about these waters. And not just these waters, not just this particular pool of water, but any body of water into which you go down as an old creature and come back up raised to walk in newness of life. I'm talking about the waters of baptism. You know, I said this could be likened to a covenant renewal ceremony where every week we are renewing our covenant with God. This, what happens here, one time in the life of a believer, this could be called a believer's wedding ceremony. When you come before God and you decide to enter into this glorious covenant through Jesus Christ, and God says to you, I will be your God. And in that moment, when you go down into those waters so that your sins can be washed away and you come up pure and white as snow, cleansed, ready to walk in newness of life, you are saying to God, I am your man. I am your woman. 
I want to join with your people. I want to be in this covenant with you. It's the first Sunday of the new year. It's just a wonderful time for you to make that commitment, if you haven't. And I know we have unbaptized people in the house. We have people who come every week and who sit in a pew and who listen to the sermon and who sing the songs and who pray the prayers and who are here for the taking of the Lord's Supper. And yet, for whatever reason, and I don't know your mind and your heart, I don't know why you stand there week in and week out and not come and make that commitment. For whatever reason, you haven't done that yet. It's a brand new year. There's been no better time than right now to start off the year in the best way possible by committing your life to Jesus Christ. By saying, I want to enter into this covenant with God through Christ I want to belong to God because I know that He will never forsake me. Maybe it's time for you to do that. I hope that you'll do that. I hope that you'll sweep away any fears or doubts that you might have about making this commitment and and come and just repent of your sins and confess that Jesus is Lord and be baptized in those waters so that you can become a child of God. Or if you're struggling spiritually, if you have seriously asked the question that we asked earlier, am I being faithful? And you find that in your life and in this past year, you have not been faithful, you have not been wholly devoted and committed, then you can start the year off on the right foot by coming down and asking for prayers of the people who care about you most. Why don't you do that as we stand and sing together?